From training to performing, join our Big League Conversation. Welcome to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast with your host, Eric Cressy. Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 21. We're really excited to have Dr. John Berardi on the show today. It's a great discussion that ranges from nutritional practices um, to behavior modifications and coaching strategies that folks both in and out of the baseball community can really use to be successful, um, both of themselves and with their athletes. I think it's going to be really, really good information. Before we get to it, um, we're actually going to deviate from their typical approach to sponsorship for podcasts, and we're actually going to sponsor ourselves this week as I want to tell you guys about uh, the 8th Annual Cressy Sports Performance Fall Seminar. It takes place uh, Saturday, September 21st and Sunday, September 22nd. Um, this is something that over the course of time has expanded uh, a little bit and this year we're having a Saturday session um, where Director of Performance John O'Neill and our Assistant Pitching Coordinator Kyle Driscoll dig really deeply onto the programming side of things from 2.30 to 5.30 on Saturday afternoon. Um, programming is something that's really hard to teach, takes a lot of reps and time and John's really been uh, super successful with succinctly teaching this to our internship uh, participants as well as our, our coaches on staff. So I think it's going to be a really, really good event. And Kyle's going to um, also chime in and help out with discussing how it applies to a lot of our skill development on the baseball side. So I think it's going to be a good experience before the real seminar even starts. Um, on Sunday, we have our guest keynote speaker, Jonathan Goodman. Um, Jonathan's been really at the forefront of the online training revolution. And he's created some really good systems for personal training trainers to utilize. And at CSP, we do some online training, so we're effectively a little bit of a hybrid model. So he's going to speak to the three frameworks you must have to get started with this really good opportunity. I'm going to be talking about spine sparing training strategies, not just your typical core stability uh, presentation, but something that digs deep into a lot of case studies. Um, it looks at some of the trends that I've seen um, you know, with both the cranky low backs that we've seen over the years, as well as those who are able to, to stay healthy. I'm going to talk about some of my experiences in 15 years of powerlifting training, um, as well as you know, what we've looked at with you know, our, our rotational sport athletes, etc. Um, my business partner, Pete Dupuis, is going to speak to the business side of fitness. He's going to talk about how to fine-tune the semi-private training model. That's something that we employ at Cressy Sports Performance. Our coach, Andrew Lissy, is going to speak on the psychology of coaching. Andrew Millett, our on-site physical therapist, is going to dig deep into the concepts of ACL rehab. Um, Andrew's a really, really bright mind in this world and um, takes a non-traditional approach to a lot of the, the post-surgery interventions with ACL patients. So really good stuff there. Cole Russo is our resident movement guy. Um, he's going to speak to applied principles of plyometrics. Drew Coben um, is going to basically bring it all together and talk about embracing the basics with a fundamental approach to strength training, whether that's with your, your general fitness clients um, or, you know, your young athletes that are just getting going with strength training. Um, so normally that would be the end of the weekend, but what we actually uh, started doing last year and we'll continue to this year is we piggyback a business mentorship on Monday um, with what we normally have uh, with our fall seminar. So anyone who attends the business mentorship on Monday actually gets free registration for the fall seminar on Sunday and Saturday. Um, so they're back-to-back days. Um, we have Perform Better as an official sponsor, so we'll have some, some good eats and, and giveaways at the start of the day, thanks to the good crew at Perform Better. Um, so all in all, it's a really, really exciting weekend. Great opportunity for networking, um, both with our staff and other coaches, and you'll actually get uh, 10 contact hours of CEUs for it because we've added the Saturday session. So great value. Um, you can head to ericcressy.com backslash schedule to get more information and to sign up. We hope to see you there.
Today's guest has been a close friend of mine in the exercise and nutrition world for close to two decades. He received his PhD in exercise physiology and nutrient biochemistry at the University of Western Ontario, and he's currently an adjunct assistant professor at Eastern Michigan University and the University of Texas. He's best known as the co-founder of Precision Nutrition, the world's largest nutrition coaching, education, and software company. Over the years, he's been an advisor to companies like Apple, Equinox, Nike, and Titleist, as well as professional sports organizations like the San Antonio Spurs and Carolina Panthers. He's also worked with individual athletes like U.S. Open champion Sloan Stevens and two-time UFC division champ Georges St. Pierre. Along the way, he's been a prolific writer, researcher, and speaker around the world. As you'll learn later on in this interview, he's got a great new project coming out and a book that'll be released this fall that we'll talk about. We're really excited to welcome Dr. John Berardi. Welcome to the show, John. Oh, thanks for having me, Eric. Uh, it's it's a pleasure to connect, man. It's been a long time since we've known each other. I, I often tell people I first met Eric Cressy, the famous Eric Cressy, when um, when he was like a college student. He came to one of my one of my early seminars, and he and a couple other people who've become quite heavy hitters in the industry uh, took me out for ice cream afterwards. <laughs> yeah, and I remember I remember that night distinctly because uh, you had a Heineken afterwards, and I was like, "All right, we, we don't have to be so rigid with all these nutritional guidelines." <laughs> it, was a, we had, it was at a Bison place in Waltham, Mass. I remember it well. But, yes. And actually, I think you were you were present on like my it might have been like my sixth date with my wife. So you you knew That's the right. Cressy, you knew the Cressies before they were the Cressies. That's um, right. So it actually it leads really well into my my first question, but I think before we get to it, uh, so obviously I know you well, I think everybody in the fitness industry and in the nutrition world, unless they've been living under a rock is very familiar with you and your work and what you guys have done at, at precision nutrition. But, um, this is the elite baseball podcast. So I think it would be good to maybe just do the, the, the hackneyed tired old, tell me about yourself, uh, question just so that they have maybe a frame of reference from what you're speaking. No, I refuse. Everyone should know who I am. Um, no, yeah, no problem. So, you know, uh, I, I mean, my claim to fame over the last 20 years was starting a company called Precision Nutrition. I, I have a PhD in exercise and nutritional biochemistry, and that's, uh, you know, obviously a deep interest of mine. And then when I was in school, we started this company, Precision Nutrition, and originally it was working with elite athletes. So, you know, coaching Olympians and professional athletes to, you know, better eating, but also better habits and lifestyle a around their eating and recovery behaviors. And uh, got a lot of attention for that. And then we started sort of packaging up that information and offering it to people in the recreational exercise world. And, and so this would be, you know, people who exercise for just health or general goals or even some, you know, sort of uh, recreational performance goals. And, uh, and then that took off. And then uh, the big thing that came next was that a lot of professionals saw what we were doing in the space and uh, wanted us to teach them. So we launched a certification program, which now has, you know, we've, we've had over 100,000 students in that. And we teach them, you know, the sort of essentials, the science and the art of sport and exercise nutrition. And then the, the, the third big thing that Precision Nutrition has done was sort of connect the two. You know, we started probably what was the industry's first ever um, online coaching program. And then we started, which, you know, what became sort of the biggest 
certification program. And then we uh, decide to connect the two. So now people who become certified with Precision Nutrition can actually coach their clients using a, a piece of software that we created called ProCoach um, with them as the coach. So they can use all of our online tools plus our curriculum with them as the coach. So basically PN, you know, what we created is three things, uh, coaching, uh, online coaching at scale. So we've coached over 150,000 people, a certification program, so education, um, and then software to connect the two so that our certified coaches can coach the way we do with their clients and them as the coach. That's awesome. So I'm actually really curious and I know that when we opened Cressy Sports Performance back in like 2007, we had no intention whatsoever of becoming like these these baseball focused people, and right. you know, it was kind of like that 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 moment where we're like, well, why don't we just chase this niche? It's going really well, and you know, in 2008 or 2009, and you know, we realized that it was something that was a very underserved population and allowed us to you know effectively solve a problem as we built a business. So mm-hmm. my first article I ever wrote was 2001 for JohnBerardi.com when I was a, right. a, a junior in college. And so I've, I've known you close to 21 years. Wasn't it on like budgeting or exactly. counting? Yeah. It was about how to eat well while you're a poor college student. And, yeah. you know, so I guess that's my question for you. I've known you almost two decades. Did you ever expect Precision Nutrition to grow to what it is today? And if so, you know, or if not, what do you think the, the key components are to the success of that company? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so the answer is no. Like I, I, I would love to tell people, oh, no, we set out with the – a master uh, business plan, and we know exactly knew exactly where we were going, and this is just the the fruits of those labors. But um, I, I don't think life works that way, and your story is a perfect example of that as well, right? I mean, you just like if I could summarize it in a in a short second here, it's you know you just um, went out and got mastery in your in your craft, and then uh, certain kinds of people started gravitating to you, and then you go, oh wait wait, here's a here's a path before us. Uh, let's let's see how this goes. And if it didn't go well, you might have been in a totally different sport, uh, still kicking butt. But this one went well. So you went down this path. And uh, I, I come from an immigrant family, man. My parents were born in a little village in Italy uh, with no running water to their homes and no electricity and stuff like that. And in fact, uh, we recently purchased the house that my mom grew up in um, and uh, put electricity and running water in and, and <laughs> kitchen cabinets and stuff. Uh, interestingly, Ikea actually delivers to <laughs> mountain villages in Italy. That's Great. amazing. Um, so, uh, so that, I mean, that's, and then when they came to the, the U S um, you know, they achieved a quote unquote better life materialistically speaking. Um, but still I, I grew up poor. I grew up in a little like apartment over a garage. And so, um, you know, no, <laughs> you know, the, the idea of having a couple hundred million dollar company and all that was as, as, as foreign as like going to Mars to me, uh, I, you know, growing up, you know, my dad worked in various factories and stuff. And those, you know, i started washing dishes when I was 12. And mm-hmm. when I was just old, like I looked old enough to be able to work in a factory, I started doing that. Mm-hmm. So for me, like growing up, I, you know, making the idea of even making a hundred grand a year, was like really far-fetched and that's how I would have known I would have made it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, what we're sitting on now is totally crazy. But, you know, again, I love your anecdote about your career here because um, I think there's a, a life truth to this. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember when I was 19 and everyone was talking about, you know, I got introduced to Tony Robbins and Stephen Covey and 
uh, Norman Vincent Peale and some of these early sort of, you know, motivational speaker types. Mm -hmm. And uh, they always talked about like writing out your five and your 10 year plan. Mm -hmm. And I've come to learn like, uh, maybe it was good for a minute when I was 19. But um, at least with my personality, um, if I would have wrote that down, I would have not seen any of the paths that deviated from that. Mm -hmm. And those are the paths that got to me, me to where I am today and, and you too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if I would have wrote that down and said, that's where I'm going, uh, I would have been pretty single-minded about that. And I might not have gotten there. And so this idea of sort of being flexible and having your head always on a swivel and always looking for, okay, cool. What's a, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to test this little path over here. Oh, wow, that's gone well. I'm going to keep going down this path. But I always leave the breadcrumb trail behind yeah. you just in case you have to backtrack. Um, <laughs> is, is how I see most people having success. Uh, yet they're told the opposite mm -hmm. that you have to like plan it all out and stick undeviatingly and, and just keep grinding on that path. So, you know, I, I never expected this and I'm, I'm so glad that I didn't, you know, because it maybe would have blinded me to this. You know, and, and, you know, to your, the second part of your question, you know, uh, what do I think has contributed to it? You know, obviously there's 20 years under the bridge here, but, um, I, I often say that, that really the formula is as simple as this right here. Um, one, you have to know what people want. Like if we're talking about business or service or whatever, you have to deeply know what people want. Two is you have to do something awesome to deliver it. And then three is you have to tell everyone about it, make sure everybody knows. And I think that sums up marketing and business really, really well. It, it can become a cliche and meaningless. So you have to unpack it. Like what does knowing what people want really mean? Well, it, it means not knowing what they say they want. It means knowing what they'll pay for. You know, it's, it means knowing what their deep desires are, the hopeful future they want to live. And then you do something pretty incredible to deliver that and promise it and then, and then make good on that promise. And, and that's not easy either, right? Yeah. So you have to figure out how to make awesome things and you have to put yourself in an environment where people will critique your work and make sure that they're awesome. And then the last part, again, is you have to tell everyone about it. And then you have to get other people to tell everyone about it. And PN has been extraordinarily good at those three things mm -hmm. and, and above all other things, I think. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny, I, I joke that you were kind of the first person who made nutrition, you know, quote unquote, sexy. Like, I can remember you writing for Teen Nation back in the early 2000s. And, you know, it, it stood out. And there were a lot of people that were writing about nutrition then. Um, and obviously, with the advent of Instagram and other social media platforms, there are even more people who are, mm -hmm. who, are, who are in that space now. So what is it that's enabled PN to, to get through to so many people where other dietary approaches have failed? What's, what's made it like that, you know, flashing neon light, you know, that, that accounted for, you know, once they, they know about you, what makes them rave about you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we actually sort of codified it, codified this, you know, as you know, back in uh, December, 2017, you know, Phil Caravaggio and I were 50, 50 owners of PN. We started together and, mm -hmm. and ran it for all the years. And then, uh, you know, we got purchased or invested in uh, by a big private equity company. So they bought about 80% of the company, which mm -hmm. essentially means we, we kind of get retired, you know, mm -hmm. from PN and, and in a good way. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, our goal was to hire out our operational roles. So all the roles we had within the company. So one of them was really to define this exact thing that you asked so that the people coming on in editorial and marketing can continue 
doing that well, like making nutrition sexy or whatever we want to call it. So we, our formula is kind of, is, is this unpacked, like write about, talk about, make videos about, make infographics about, so whatever, communicate, teach about hot topics um, with really deep insight and clarity with agnosticism. So not choosing a side, but looking at sides equally, talking about the pros and cons with some nuance and subtlety. Um, and then give lots of examples. So making the sort of, you know, abstract, very concrete, don't shy away from the abstract because that's interesting, right? The, the theoretical stuff, but then make it super concrete with real examples and then give people next actions, something they can do from all that. So you can see like if you're creating kind of a pyramid of like interest and utility, this would actually hit all the le the levels, right? It's it's something people care about. You do it in in a way that doesn't alienate either side. That's why you do it with agnosticism. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're writing about keto, you don't say it's dumb yeah. because then all the uh, keto people now hate you, right? Yeah. And you don't say it's great because then all the non-keto people hate you. You talk about the pros and cons because there are pros and cons to both sides. Mm -hmm. Th saying it's dumb or it's great is overly simplistic. You know, it, it's not intelligent. Um, so, so we bring that intelligence to it, which comes from the form of agnosticism. And then at the very end, someone, people need to know what to do with it all. Mm -hmm. So then we lend that, that sort of next action approach to it. And then I think the one halo that, that sits over it all is clear and unimpeachable authority. Mm -hmm. Like we, you know, you, you know, uh, my career, you work with Brian St. Pierre who writes with us, you know, Krista Scott Dixon. Like this is a group of people who have all the credentials. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got a PhD, but I've worked at the highest level of sport. I've competed in a high level of sport myself. So you can't be like, well, that guy's an idiot, or you can't really criticize any of the things that I've done mm -hmm. or Brian or Krista. So there's like clear authority, right? Yeah. This isn't just some random person. These are people who you can presumably trust. Yeah. And as a result, I mean, that one of the great, greatest quotes people said about our content has been um, a PN's just an island of sanity in an ocean of confusion. <laughs> and I was like, I love that. Yes, I'm going to use that till the day I die. Um, so that's really, I think, how we've made nutrition interesting. And you can see, I mean, there's a lot of layers to that. Mm -hmm. And and all of our content has to pass that filter. Like we, you probably know Adam Campbell, who yeah. we hired to take over for me as editor-in-chief at Precision Nutrition. And Adam has a storied career in in from men's health to Rodale and a bunch of other places. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, this is the filter he runs now. Is it a hot topic? Can we treat it with clarity? Are there both sides? Can we add subtlety and nuance? Can we provide next actions? And is there clear authority around this rather than just some random person that, that you don't know if you can trust? Yeah. Has the, has the approach had to change? The re and, and the reason I say that is, you know, effectively what you just said is the answer to everything is it depends and here's mm -hmm. why. And the, the challenge there is, you know, I think, you know, every bit of marketing research has said that now that people are exposed to so many different marketing messages, um, you know, they check their phone hundreds of times every day, their attention span is really, really short. So for them, like, you know, I always think of the, you know, is a calorie just a calorie? Like that was one of the best articles I ever read, you know, where there's people that say that all that matters is energy balance. And, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're, we know, both know there's a lot more to it than that. Um, mm -hmm. ha have you found that it's harder to disseminate that message 
because I, I think about it in the context of what we do. Weighted balls are a, a hot topic. Like, do you throw weighted mm-hmm. baseballs or not? You know, so people just say, what do you think of it? It's like, well, are you a, an elite athlete who has a great arm action and a, a huge history of work capacity and pristine mechanics? And is it the right time of year? Or are you a 13-year-old kid who's never lifted a weight and has terrible mechanics and no idea how to even hold a fastball? Like, mm-hmm. do, you, do you deal with that same kind of thing? Has it been more challenging when there's just so much more noise and some, such shorter attention span? Well, there's two ways we deal with it. One is multiple ways to produce content, right? So when I describe you know, our criteria, you might think in terms of, well, that might be like a feature-length 4,000-word article. Mm-hmm. But then what we always do is we'll then create an infographic from that, which is much shorter, much Mm -hmm. more consumable. And then what we'll often do is then create uh, an animated video from that, Mm -hmm. which may be eight minutes in length. So, um, you know, I mean, this just speaks to how people prefer to consume content, I guess. Um, You know, some people might like to read the article and then watch the video, which maybe acts as a summary or, or maybe they're more visual learners. Uh, or maybe they have less time, so they just want to look at the infographic. It's also a great content strategy, by the way, for a business, because you only write that first article once, mm-hmm. and now you get three pieces from it, which are all equally amazing and impactful in different ways. So that's one way we've dealt with it. And then the second way is we kind of just presume that if people want dopey, overly simplistic, um, non-nuanced nutrition content, they can go somewhere else for that. That's all over the place. You know what I mean? Uh, People who actually want to think about this stuff and come out with the answer to it depends on what (laughs) come see us. You know what I mean? And that's, and that's, that's our goal, right? That it's easy to have that flippant, uh, someone asking a nutrition question and then you say, well, it depends. And I've seen experts do that. That's their answer. It depends. And then they walk away. Um, You know, our, our hope is that we can teach you it depends on what so that you can make the right decisions for you or your clients. Absolutely. So uh, obviously, you know, we've spoken to maybe the overarching philosophies and stuff. And, but at, at your deepest core, you're still a, you know, a nutritionist and someone who, who believes heavily that you have the abilities to, to change behaviors. And, you yeah. know, we, we've certainly seen it front and center. And this is a, a baseball podcast that may range from, you know, that 14-year-old kid who's just trying to put on 60 pounds to become a college prospect all the way up to, you know, that kid's parents, coaches, and major leaguers that, you know, he aspires to be. So, you know, let's talk about some specific nutritional discussions for, you know, these populations. So, you know, and, and I'm, I'm especially intrigued as a parent, um, because I know we all have this grandiose vision, like our kids are going to eat perfectly. And, you know, I remember my wife and I talking about it and then we have one daughter that eats absolutely everything we put in front of her and is an absolute sweetheart. We have the other one that, you know, you put a little piece of chicken in front of her and it's a, a four hour staring contest. And then she, <laughs> she's got it squirreled away the next morning when she rolls out of bed. So, if you know, and we won't speak to that young a population, but let's talk about like that that thirteen to fifteen year old kid, um, and you're trying to get through to him on the nutrition front to make him recognize that you know what he does really fundamentally matters. Where are the mm-hmm. most important places that you've started that discussion, and, and who's involved? Is it the kid? Is it the parent? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, this is great, and and I, I would say it's actually not too dissimilar from, from your children and my children. Um, you know, I, as you know, I have four and they're, uh, nine, seven, five, and three. All the, and, all the more uh, reason not to do a 10 year plan, right? <laughs> that's right. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's true. All right. Keep going. Yeah, they, they don't, they, they don't, uh, they don't, they don't necessarily sign up for the 10 year plan. Um, the, you know, the first thing I always ask, I think it's really important to level set on 
you know, okay, let's talk about a, a teenage athlete. How do I get them to eat better, right? The question I often ask is like, okay, but wait, before we get started, does it even matter if they eat better? Mm-hmm. You know, like, why? Why do you want them to eat better? Do you want them to eat better because you just think it's virtuous for them to eat better? Or is there an actual real goal that you have? And I, and I see this a lot now. You know, people just feel guilty or they impose that guilt on other people uh, for not eating, quote unquote, well enough. Mm-hmm. And the question is, do they, do they actually need it? I, I mean, I've met a lot of athletes who haven't paid much attention to their nutrition and are performing at the highest level in the world, winning world championships, um, gold medals. You know, so this isn't, you know, obviously I work in the nutrition space. So I'm not trying to argue that it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. The question is just simply, why does it matter to you to change the behavior of a 15-year-old? Mm-hmm. Um, and define it. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Uh, if it's because they need to gain weight to achieve a particular goal, great. Now we're super clear. We're not eating for virtue. We're eating for a particular goal. And that's much easier. Um, so that's the first place I begin. Define. Do they have to lose some weight? Are, is, is their energy lagging towards the end of a game or whatever? Uh, do they have to gain weight? You identify that problem. That's their limiting factor. And then you just work on the things that are necessary for that. And I, I think this, this applies equally to young athletes and pros, which is, you know, I often think about this notion where when people look for a nutritional solution, they go with like a whole package, like, oh, I'm going to do plant-based or I'm going to do keto or whatever, which is essentially like a hundred changes to your lifestyle, right? Um, the question just becomes, you know, is that, you know, uh, taking an atom bomb and yeah. trying to kill a mosquito, mm-hmm. you know, like, let's say you have a young female athlete who does endurance training and, um, is lately experiencing a lag in energy and lower performance, feels tired all the time. And you learn that they recently gave up, you know, eating red meat for whatever reason. You know, the first thing I, my mind goes to as someone who's worked in performance for a long time is, oh, maybe we just triggered an iron deficiency kind of anemia situation. Mm-hmm. So we need to change her diet. Uh, are we going to put her on keto and give her a hundred things to change or should we just give her some freaking iron? Yes. You know what I mean? So that keto is the atomic bomb, you know, whereas uh, to kill a mosquito, the small thing, right? Yeah. So this is what I think about. You have to define the goal. Then you have to say, okay, cool. What's the limiting factor in the way? And then how do we fix that one thing or two things rather than just globally make them eat better because that does, it doesn't make any sense and then your targets will all be off so th- so that's the first thing you know get your head right around what we're trying to do here and then the second thing is when you're actually working with that athlete how do you approach the conversation uh, the the thing you have to think about is autonomy right like yeah. you can't force another human to do anything yeah. right you know this right yeah, you have absolutely. a four-year-old you're like i'm much bigger and stronger than you <laughs> but you can't make them eat the chicken right yeah um and so i i often give this example and it's a simplistic one but you think about how it might uh, scale up to a, a teenage uh athlete you know, when, when our first daughter was really young, I remember, you know, we live in Canada part of the year and the winter would come and she would never want to wear her winter coat, right? So you'd, you'd have the, the, the staring contest and the battle of wills in the mudroom while you're waiting to go outside because she won't put that coat on. 
And, uh, and then one day I, I was just trying to learn how to, I was first time parent trying to learn how to become a better parent. And I'm like, I need to figure out a solution for this way of being, which is me tell her what to do, her not do it, then me get mad for her defying me. It, it's, it's not productive. We're, it's not going to build the kind of relationship we want. And I'm not going to get the freaking code on her, you know? <laughs> so, um, so then one day I just got her, I just bought a second coat. I got her pink coat, I got her yellow coat, and I was like, hey, honey, time to go outside. But guess what? I'm not going to tell you what coat to wear. You can choose this really groovy pink one or this really awesome yellow one. And she lit up and she like picked the one that she wanted. So you gave her some autonomy, you yeah. know? And I think about this at every level, including adults. How do you get people to choose from a menu of options that are in their best interest, right? Athlete needs to eat better for X goal. How do you give them a menu rather than giving them the one thing and telling them what to do? Because people generally don't like being told what to do at any age. Yep. The, the next thing you think about, right, is, okay, so you give them a menu of options, you let them choose the one that's most resonant with them, and then you get them arguing for change, not you. You know, what often happens is we tell people what they're doing wrong, then we poke and prod at them until we, we think that's going to get them to change. But it just simply doesn't work. We, they dig in deeper. <laughs> and my favorite example is like whenever I'm sitting around and I'm like, my hair is too long, I got to go get a haircut. If my wife Amanda walks in and tells me to get a haircut, guaranteed an extra week until I go get that haircut. Yeah. Because she told me what to do. And I'm like, yeah, forget you, I pick. Yeah. So this happens at every level. So, uh, you know, we teach scripts in our in our coaching modules about how to speak to people so they can start arguing for change. In some ways, we actually start arguing against change. You know, so if they're eating, I don't know, junk food for dinner, you go, hey, um, so what's good about eating junk food for dinner for you or whatever those foods are? And we probe it like what they're getting out of it. And we're like, oh, okay, great. Well, it makes you feel this way. Oh, it tastes really good. And you start like pushing on the value of it. And what ends up happening is when someone realizes it's not in their best interest, they actually go, yeah, yeah, all those things. But I know if I ate a little bit less of that and a little bit more of something else, my baseball goals would become easier. to. And now they're arguing for change, not you, yeah. right? And then you can sort of just gently go with that and let them convince themselves. And then the third thing is, you know, uh, if you're a teenager and you live at home with your parents, the parents are the ones in control of the kitchen. Yeah. So, you know, I, I've worked with a lot of prospects and junior athletes. And, and like you said, you know, there it's, it's I do talks with parents and with the, the athletes themselves. Because you can't have a do as I say, not as I do scenario. It doesn't work. Absolutely. Right? So the parents are just filling up. Oh, no, that's my cabinet over there with all the good stuff. You know what I mean? Yours is over here with the lettuce and the chicken, right? Yeah. So that's um, so that's the other part, you know, and that's the most challenging one, right? Absolutely. Because if if the parents the parents aren't willing to change any of their behaviors, then there's uh, there's no reason to believe that the the athlete will unless they just have an iron will mm -hmm. and a really really strong desire to. So let's let's shift forward a few years. Um, so what I thought was interesting about this, you spoke to the you know the younger athlete model, you know yeah. where, where mom and dad are often in charge. Um, as we shift forward in the baseball realm, you know certainly 
college, minor leagues, uh, big leagues, they actually present different challenges. And, you know, in the college sector, you know, unless guys are traveling, you know, you tend to have a scenario where there's, there are plenty of choices. And in fact, maybe even too many choices in a college cafeteria, even, uh, probably more so at the big league level where some of the post game spreads are, are remarkable and guys make some bad decisions in the minor leagues. On the other hand, we may have athletes that, you know, the game ends and they, they walk into the clubhouse and we'll actually see scenarios where they put out candy bars and pretzels as post game meals when, you know, when low A teams are on the road or whatever it is. So, you know, how do you, how do you reconcile those things? I mean, you have to give these people a level of knowledge. They can handle anything that comes their way. Are there certain things that you do in situations where, Hey, we don't have enough food choices versus situations where we have way too many. Yeah. I mean, I I think we go back to the similar thing, which is level set on doesn't matter. Like what's the goal? What's the goal for the athlete? What's the goal for the team or whatever the case may be that we're creating? Uh, and, and it's just so tempting to look at pretzels and candies and go, that's bad. We need to do good instead. Mm-hmm. But the question is for me, like, is it really, really bad for this scenario, you know? Or is it is it okay if they eat that after a game if the rest of their meals are fine for the day? Mm-hmm. You know, so get rid of the idea of virtuousness, like imposed value judgment mm-hmm. on a pretzel, you know? Yeah. And get to, you know, how is this impacting them, if at all, negatively? And then we can start fixing that. Now, to, to some of the challenges, you know, I think for, for the older athletes, there's a lot of work around education that we do. And I'll give you a, an example of this played out in the most perfect scenario. So we might get hired to go work with a professional team to help with their their nutrition, right? And you remember in the past, that would be a team hires you, you come in you do a two hour seminar and then you go home and nothing's changed, you know? But now, I mean, we have a whole package for pro teams where we go in and we actually change their cafeteria. And we have a whole system that we do this where it's, you know, collaborating with the athletes. We sit down with the athletes and figure out the kind of foods they want in the cafeteria, the kind of foods that are there now that they actually like. Mm -hmm. Because if we go in and change everything, and we make food that's delicious for us, doesn't matter if they don't like it, you know? So what we do is we collaborate with them, then we work with a caterer to come up with the right selections. And then what we do is we um, post education all around, you know, their training facility. And that education sort of uses like a color scheme. And then we color code the foods in like whatever the buffet line or whatever the case may be. Um, so that they kind of get like, these are higher protein foods. These are higher uh, fruits and vegetable foods. These are higher carb foods. These are higher fat foods. And we don't really exclude any of those kind of options. It's not super limited menu. It's just so that we can teach certain athletes who may need to lose fat. For example, they need a little bit more of the protein foods and a little bit less of the carby foods, for example, and the athletes who need to gain weight. So then you tell them like, for lunch, you're going to eat two blues, one red and two greens, mm-hmm. right? So then they have this whole spread in front of them and they can choose whatever blues, reds and greens that they want. And then that education sort of extends to, we'll do some one-on-ones with them. We may do some seminars with them. And then we may teach uh, the folks that they eat with at home, similarly, how to make these choices when they're away from the practice facility. But even if they don't, you know, in, in the NFL, for example, we'll often get two to three meals in them at the practice facility. Mm-hmm. Uh, who cares what they eat with the other meal, yeah. right? Like we, we got like 75% of this done. It's yeah. great. So that's, that's how we think about it. We're like, how do we make 
education built into the food so they can make great choices wherever they are. You know, if they decide to go to Chipotle after practice instead of eat at the practice facility, you know, we teach them what kinds of options that you would make if you're trying to gain weight at uh, Chipotle or if you're trying to uh, lose fat at Chipotle. And they're, they're both available. You know what I mean? You can do that. I, I remember working with an athlete at one point where everyone used to make fun of him for going to Subway for, for every lunch. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, we can do fine at Subway. You just need a little bit of education around that. So that's really where we work with these athletes around the education piece. Mm-hmm. But the same things is with the younger. We have to say, you know, does it matter? Uh, why are we eating better? What's the limiting factor here? Let's remove that instead of like going nu- nuclear option. Um, and then, uh, and then how do we just layer education into that? And then if, if we have the holy grail scenario, let's just fix their food environment. Yeah. And it's interesting. What I, what I love about this is it, it really speaks to the concept of as whether we're strength addition coaches, whether we're nutrition folks, whatever it may be, your, your knowledge can't outpace their adherence. You can That's learn right. about the, the fanciest nutritional biochemistry topics on the planet and spend your entire day on PubMed. And you might leverage 1% of that if, if you're not good at actually relating to people and getting through to them. And I think that's something that's often lost. But what we often see nowadays you know, it's, it's the age of information. So we see pro athletes is that they listen to a podcast or, you know, they read an article or they have a teammate that suggests it and they become bought in on some new information they've taken in. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's a gallon of butter in their coffee. It's, you know, it's intermittent fasting, uh, you know, during competition or, you know, some kind of miracle supplement, you know, what they've failed to realize the, the advice usually comes from someone who doesn't actually have to perform at a high level or doesn't have like a frame of reference to make those suggestions. Have you seen this this kind of shift over the last you know five to seven years? And, and yeah. if so, what's the approach to bringing them back to center and, and focusing on the basics? And you know what is something that's science backed, but at the same time, you know doesn't just shoot their their motivation to learn down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a, a, a funny example. You know, one one day years back uh, when Tony Gonzalez, you may remember, yeah. played in the NFL, um, and uh, and his team nutritionist called me. And she was like, ah, JB, I need some help. And I was like, what's up? She's like, okay, so Tony uh, flies on an airplane um, two weeks ago or whatever. He sits next to this nice lady on the plane who's a vegan and had just uh, read the China diet mm-hmm. um, and, and gave him a copy. And then he reads it and uh, decides to go full vegan, you know? Yeah. And she's like, it's been a couple weeks. He's already lost like eight pounds. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to be a disaster. Like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? So I'm like, this, this happens at the highest level of sport. Yeah. I mean, this, this guy's, you know, a Hall of Fame athlete. Yeah. Uh, An incredibly who, durable one at that, too. It's not like things are going poorly. <laughs> that, yeah, that's exactly right. Yes. Yeah. It's not like he needs a miracle fix. Um, and so it happens at every level. And the advice is do the opposite of what every fiber in your being is telling you to do. If you're a coach... <laughs> You have to do the opposite of what you're thinking you should do right now. Yeah. I, I promise you. I wrote an article on it. It's my favorite article probably that we've ever published on the, the PN website. It's called Surviving the Dr. Oz Diet. And it's about this very thing, this notion that you have a client, uh, they watch Dr. Oz and he's got some new cockamamie thing. Yep. And, uh, and then they come in the next day ready to scrap their program and do the thing Oz talked about. And uh, again, if you're a professional, it's enough to drive you crazy because it's probably happened 
more times than you can count. But in that article, which I recommend every coach read because it's so, so critical. And I'm like, ah, it drives me crazy when some, someone in our PN community hasn't read it and they're a coach. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's basically five steps. One is you don't tell them they're wrong. Don't tell them they're wrong. Tony Gonzalez believes the choice that he's just made. And he's a grown ass man and bigger than you too. <laughs> so you don't tell him he's wrong because yeah. what you're essentially saying is, Tony, you're an idiot. Mm-hmm. No matter how nicely you do it, you're an idiot. Your brain doesn't have the power to reason the way mine does. Mm-hmm. And so you're easily tricked like a little child by all this nonsense. I mean, honestly, how would you receive that? Right. Yeah. So you can't tell people that they're wrong. It actually ruins your credibility because if they've seen it on Dr. Oz, that means something about the presentation of the person who presented it seemed more credible than you. It was compelling. Yeah. You know, so, so they're going to think, well, if you don't believe in this, then you must be the idiot, not the doctor I saw on TV. So there's no chance that you telling them wrong is a good idea. So you don't. Then what you do is you highlight what's right. If you have a client or an athlete that is out seeking information on health and fitness when maybe they never have it in the past, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Even if it's they're finding the wrong information, it means there's like what we call uh, in marketing an active search, right? They're no longer just sitting around hoping their health goes well. They're looking for information outside of you, their coach, that they can imp- implement in their lives. That's good. Praise that. So one, don't tell them they're wrong. Two, highlight what's right. Hey, I, in the article, I even give you a script. Hey, it's really great that you're out there seeking health and fitness information out in the world. I love that. I want you to keep doing that. But then you add the caveats, right? The third thing is then you give them some options. You say, hey, that thing that you learned on Dr. Oz or from the lady on the airplane or from Colin Campbell's book, um, I think it's, I think it's really interesting. And it's something that we could certainly try. Now, I want to give you three options here. And you get to pick. You're, you're a grown adult. I don't tell you what to do. We collaborate. Um, the first one is we stay the course. What you're doing now is working great. We can just keep going with that. Two is we stay the course with our current program, but we find ways to incorporate what you just learned. Mm-hmm. Like, we'll just build it in. You and I can collaborate on how to build that in. Or three, we totally scrapped the program that I came up with and we do the thing that you learned about on TV. With this last one, though, I do have some concerns about whatever, safety, efficacy, whatever it might be. So I'll just, I just want you to promise that it's, a, that it's okay if we monitor you. And if it starts going badly, then we change course. Okay, so you can try that thing as an experiment. But if it goes badly, we'll change course before it actually starts negatively affecting your health or your performance or whatever, then you just act as the monitor. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be the grand poobah of program design here. You just step back and you monitor their health and work with them through this thing. And then you just keep the sort of adult conversation flowing, Mm -hmm. right? If, if things are going well, maybe you'll learn something along the way. Mm -hmm. You know, if things don't go well, then the athlete will learn something. And if you're on their team, then you can help them correct course. If you're not, then they're on their own, right? And then there's the, the charlatans abound. You know, they'll be happy to take care of them, which means do things that could hurt them. So really, that's, I mean, that's, you're going to, as a coach, you're going to face this. And this is, 
This is the solution here. Don't tell them they're wrong. Highlight what's right. Give them some options. Monitor their health and be an adult. They're an adult too. And just support. I mean, that's your role. So again, I, I'd love for people to check out that article because it even yeah. provides the scripts and stuff like that. That's but, awesome. um, but again, it's the opposite of what everyone's inclined to want to do. You know, it's interesting. I literally, as, as you're talking this through, I, we had a 19-year-old kid who was like, what do you think of arginine supplements? And I just, as I'm like going through this, I'm like, in my head, I'm saying this is the absolute last thing you need to be worrying about right now. Um, but as I look back on the conversation I had three days ago, I could have handled it entirely different. So that's, that's outstanding feedback. Um, well, it's a great, it's a great example. Yeah. You know, step one, you go, hey, it's so cool that you're out there looking for ways to improve your performance and recovery. Mm-hmm. Right. And notice the beautiful thing. Like, you can go practice those words, Eric. Yeah. When you say them, it changes your whole demeanor from yeah. frustration to like positivity. Yeah. Like you're no longer annoyed at that athlete. You you actually will believe what you say. That yeah. it is kind of cool that they're out there looking, right? And then you can just take it from there. You know, well, so great that you're out there looking for ways to improve your cover, recovery, your muscle mass, whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of arginine, here's how it might fit into the big picture of our program. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think sometimes as coaches, we're just annoyed because we have to spend time on this. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's but true. you're like, man, there's way bigger problems out yeah. there. You know, this is a minor one. Yeah. And I mean, is there ever a time to, re- to reshape it to say, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're looking into this stuff. It's, it's certainly uh, an invaluable approach to, to continue to try to better yourself. At the same time, you know, we also have these, these other big rocks that I think you could benefit on from focusing on where you, you know, you, yeah. you, you effectively, give, effectively you give them better information and you say, yeah, you, you, totally. push it, you push it out. Yeah. Or, or just simply say, here's where it might fit in. You know, so you might say something like, appreciate that you're looking into this. That's really super great. In terms of where you're at right now with your programming, I think arginine would be like a one out of 10 in terms of the kind of impact it would have. Mm-hmm. But here's two or three things that would be like a nine out of 10 yeah. in terms of impact. So you can totally do the arginine thing if you want, mm-hmm. but you know, it, 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 there's not a good chance it's going to make a big impact when yeah. there's some other things just like right next door that could have a huge impact on your recovery, muscle mass development, health, whatever we're looking at. Um, so it's your choice, totally your choice. And if you decide to go the arginine route, I'm your coach. I'm happy to support you in that. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't think it's going to make the kind of difference. Whereas this thing really would. Absolutely. You know, and then you say, but I'm not here to tell you what to do. I say this with my kids all the time. Hey, listen, I'm not going to tell you what to do here. I think the choice you're about to make may not end up the way you want it to. Mm-hmm. I think this other choice or this other one would be better. I'm going to let you make the selection, you know, um, and, I, and I, I always remind them, I'm not going to tell you what to do now. Now, if they're in harm's way, of course. Yeah. You know, but how often are they really in harm's way? It's only, yeah. it's only a few out of one out of 10. Yeah. You know, the rest of the time, it's just me imposing my will. So then I just, I keep reminding them. And I say this so often, Hey, listen, I'm not going to tell you what to do here. You're a person and you get to pick. So that's how I, I think about parenting. And I think about, you know, coaching as well. Absolutely. What are the things, you know, independent of kind of maybe the, the direct client interaction, what are the ones that are the, the head scratchers for you right now? Like I spoke to some of these, um, you know, these challenges that we're seeing, like, like intermittent fasting for athletes that may need to, you know, train slash compete a couple times a day, or, you know, what are the ones that you and, and Brian and Krista and the rest of the team find yourself, you know, the, the challenges that you face on a regular basis at that higher level of college and professional athletes right now? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're so simple. You know, when we when we think about the the elite athletes, it's you know, Mark, you know, Mark Verstegen, yeah. uh, we both know him well, you know, he's, he's a, always has that phrase like the, uh, oh, oh, how's it go? Like do the simple things savagely well or whatever. It's, it's always that, right? Like it's always the simple things that people aren't doing consistently well. Um, so, you know, it's just like struggling, getting enough protein, yeah. you know, uh, not eating enough, you know, vegetables and micronutrients that come along with them um you know alcohol like we we recently did a survey of uh our latest client intake which was about five thousand people and the number one thing that comes up is too much alcohol consumption and again not out of pure virtuousness but they're literally just drinking too many calories every day mm-hmm. and and then and then what comes along with that is you know a uh, lowering of inhibitions and they they make poor food choices around it for the rest of the evening so the i mean these are not unique to uh athletes or recreational exercisers or just general population if you want to call them that uh people are people you know and so just because you can throw or hit a baseball well uh, doesn't mean that when you go home and just put on your jeans and your t-shirt you're really fundamentally any different between your ears than everyone else. So it's the same problems that come up, you know? Yeah. You know, it's interesting in, in the baseball world, alcohol is absolutely, you know, a, a significant issue. I think the one that's probably even a bigger one is, is nicotine, you know, the mm-hmm. number of guys dipping. I mean, there's still major league baseball players that smoke cigarettes. Mm-hmm. You're like it's, it's mind numbing, but these are things that, you know, certainly if, if it was just as simple as saying, Hey, don't you know, these are bad for you? Like these behaviors would have changed by now. And in reality, I think a lot of the strategy you've outlined absolutely makes sense in light of this well i'm, I'm curious about that one like um for a sport like baseball aside from the the virtuousness aspect and the and the overall like long-term health do you think uh nicotine or smoking would negatively reduce performance you know it's interesting i in in the context of baseball probably not i think the bigger concern is the the you know we literally have billions of dollars wasted on disabled this time we mm-hmm. we do know that smoking tends to massively increase your likelihood of rotator cuff tears for example it's just not good for tendon health we don't mm-hmm. have that same kind of of data to support that like just basically dipping, you know, chewing tobacco <laughs> has necessarily that same impact. So it's a, it's a, I think it's a loose association. So I, I do think, yes, it's much more about, you know, the, the virtuous aspect of it, like you said. Yeah. And, and of course, long-term health, right? Like, cause you know, that that's yeah. not something necessarily directly relevant to yeah. today's baseball, but certainly relevant to the rest of your life, which is longer than your baseball life. Right? Yeah. I remember so, Kurt Schilling saying, it's not if it'll kill you, it's when it will kill you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, but, but again, I, I always like to ask these questions because yeah. I remember one day where I was young in my career and an athlete uh, was, uh, this was a bobsledder uh, on the u.s national team and he was talking about how every night after their second practice of the day uh he would have like x amount of vodka and he he felt like it really helped him with recovery and everyone in the room is like snickering and stuff and then i and and i also remember right around that time i had noticed that a lot of strength and power athletes in particular um bobsledders football players or whatever would uh have some cannabis after mm-hmm. practice um you know and and the the rubric back then was like they they play Xbox and yeah. have a little bit of marijuana. Yeah, and I remember like 
lightning striking going like our first inclination is to judge these behaviors as negative from a place of virtuousness. But I wonder if there's any like benefit happening here that we don't quite know about, but they just feel, yeah, you know? And, um, and then I started to unpack that in particular, the cannabis one jumped out, you know, and, and this was when it, this was years and years ago. Yeah. So, um, but uh, in the research, there wasn't much research or whatever, but I was like, talking the, then i then i started actually asking the athletes like why do you do this how do you feel i'm not judging i'm not going to make you stop i'm just curious and every one of them felt like it helped with central nervous system recovery mm-hmm. like if i if i don't do it a few times a week i'm more sore and and when i go back to do another cns type workout um it's uh my it, it, there's a different impact and so I was like, oh, okay, this is really, really interesting. And, and, and now we're learning certain components of cannabis may actually have an effect on inflammation and all these other things. So again, I, this is not John Berardi advocating yep. on Eric Cressy's podcast <laughs> for cannabis, but it's just these things. I'm like, rather than judging like the smoking or the dipping or the um, cannabis or a bit of alcohol, it's like, what, what role is this playing in their life? They're doing yep. it for a reason, you know, and yep. this is a, key 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 coaching principle every behavior even really objectively negative ones Mm -hmm. are in someone's life to serve a purpose and that purpose may actually be met at the expense of the rest of their life but there's still a purpose and as a coach you have to figure out what that purpose is and then you can either say okay cool how do we get that from something else Mm -hmm. or how do we keep that in and mitigate the risk yeah i I think it's 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 you know, incumbent upon us as coaches not to agree or disagree. It's our job to understand and facilitate. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think of it in the context, like there's a, there's a significant chunk of professional athletes in all sports that, that do use marijuana, you know, after contests, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you and I don't know what it's like to go and throw a baseball in front of 40,000 people at a seven o'clock start time after I've, you know, crushed a Red Bull, you know, mm-hmm. com- coming out afterwards, do a bunch of media interviews, drive home through a busy city, have my phone blowing up from every person who's texted me after the game and, you know, probably had every social media thing tag me on stuff and then try to just magically go to bed at 1 p.m. 1 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> like we, right. we can't put ourselves in those shoes and I don't necessarily advocate that behavior, but I understand it. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I see why people may have heard from teammates who, you know, have, have done it in the past and, you know, they've, they've spoken about it in a, in a positive manner. So I think you're right. It's up to us to understand it, even though we would never advise it to our own mm-hmm. children or, or any of our athletes. Yeah. And for me, what I, what that understanding bred was actually a presentation that I started giving to elite athletes, which gave them a menu of options that they could choose to facilitate central nervous system recovery. I'm like, I know a lot of you are using cannabis to do this which I'm not going to tell you not to, but just so you know, there's five or six other ways we can do this as well. So you don't have to smoke or have an edible every single night. And so that, um, you know, this doesn't have to be your, your go-to tool. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's that kind of thing that was a really pragmatic outcome from that, you know? Absolutely. So I'm actually really curious to your answer to this next question. Uh, in light of how the discussion has unfolded here. So all the way back in 2003, you published an article. It's called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective uh, Nutrition Programs. They were, number one, eat every two to three hours no matter what. You should eat between five to eight meals per day. Number two, eat complete, containing all the essential amino acids, lean protein with each meal. Three, eat fruits or vegetables with each meal. 
Four, ensure that your carbohydrate intake comes from fruits and vegetables, uh, the exception being workout and post-workout drinks and meals. Five, ensure that 25 to 35% of your intake comes from fat with your fat intake split equally between saturates, monounsaturates, and polyunsaturates. Number six, drink only non-calorie containing beverages, the best choices being water and green tea. Number seven, eat mostly whole foods except for workout and post-workout drinks. I'm curious mm-hmm. as to how if you had to rewrite the seven habits of highly effective nutrition programs, how would you do it? Are there ones you would keep, ones that you would get rid of? Totally, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm almost embarrassed that you read those aloud. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I mean, context is always king, right? Yeah. So, I'm, I mean, I wrote that for the T-Nation audience, yeah. mm-hmm. um, which is a bunch of, you know, self-proclaimed hardcore weightlifters who mm-hmm. want to build muscle and strength. So, mm-hmm. if you're a hardcore weightlifter who wants to build muscle and strength, that, that that would be a decent set of principles. But obviously, for everyone and some of the absolutes in that in that mm-hmm. uh, thing, like only non-caloric beverages and all that stuff is a little bit too absolute. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I there was a, a seminal moment in my career, Eric, where... Uh, I, I went in to talk to Canada's uh, bobsled team, and this was really early in my career. And uh, I had prepared like a, a full day, <laughs> problem one, full day <laughs> seminar, right? Like six hours for this group of athletes. Um, and it, it was all based on the latest stuff and, you know, high, high level nutritional biochemistry in terms of like supplementation and nutrients and all this like i was going to work with these like high level elite athletes and teach them how to be elite with their nutrition and when they walked in the room most of them late they all had bags of mcdonald's and i realized in that moment like i was about to give the wrong talk Mm -hmm. you know what i mean um and this became sort of a pivotal moment in my career where i was like man um i i'm speaking uh, the wrong language to clients and athletes. So this, the habits were kind of that, like it was too absolute, you know, who's going to eat eight meals a day, really, mm-hmm. you know, only a subset of a subset of a subset of people. So, I mean, how, how would I revise that? You know, I mean, I actually, you know, I do some work with Nike. And so they asked me for, you know, pr- my five principles of healthy eating. So I gave them actually two sets I gave them five that have to do with the food and five that have to do with around the food. Mm -hmm. So the new ones are um, every day you have to get adequate protein, however you want to do that. You know, uh, eating every two to three hours, we know that's not required. You know, I've published some stuff on this where, you know, I I personally tested out intermittent fasting, you know, where you fast a whole day a week, where you fast part of the day, where you eat one meal a day, where you eat two meals a day, where you eat five meals a day. You know, and, and all of these are suitable eating patterns if you do them well. So, you know, what is well? Well, there's something about calories there and there's something about getting enough nutrients over the course of the day. So really sort of adequate protein. And if you're highly physically active, I normally recommend about a gram per pound. That's meaningless to most people. So then we teach people using palms, right? So if you eat a protein portion, the size and thickness of your palm, and if you're a man, you say you eat two of those three times a day, then you'll probably get enough protein, you know? And so there's adequate protein. There's a mix of fats. So you get fats from some animal foods. If you eat animal foods, you get some fats from vegetable foods. You get some fats from nuts. You get some fats from seeds. You get some fats from olive oil, those kind of things. So it's adequate protein, a mix of fats, lots of vegetables, 
And then we teach people what that looks like. And for everyone who's now thinking like, I don't like vegetables, it's because you don't know how to do it. And we wrote an article like how to eat vegetables for people who hate vegetables. And um, it's essentially going to sound weird, but it's flavor science. If you pair the right things together, the things about vegetables that you hate goes away. I mean, there's some people with a genetic variant where they just taste the bitterness in vegetables more than others. But if you pair them with the right food, the bitterness goes away. And you remember like back in the day, I created a nutritional supplement called uh, Biotest Surge. Mm -hmm. It was really one of the first big post-workout nutrition supplements Mm -hmm. that hit the market. And I remember creating it because it had branched chain amino acids as, as part of the base and they were so nasty tasting back then mm-hmm. that literally every time I tried one of my sample formulations, I would have to do it over the sink because I would instantly puke. <laughs> and it's because like the branch chains bind to specific taste receptors on the tongue that cause that reaction. So what I had to do to make it palatable was find flavors that bind the same taste receptors first and stronger so that they never get the branch chain amino acid taste and you never throw up. So that's what we ended up doing. We, we, we found this flavor that was kind of tasted like a vanilla angel food cake. Mm-hmm. And you may remember that flavor. Very well, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, and that actually binds the same receptors. Same thing with vegetables. If you find the right pairings of foods, and again, we do, we do an infographic on that. You can Google it if you're listening. And uh, we, we teach you how to not have vegetables taste bad in your mouth, you know, and so you can like them. So we got adequate protein, mix of fats, lots of veg, uh, and then carbs per activity. So if you're, if you have a lot of activity, you're going to need more carbs. And if you have a little bit, you're going to need less probably. But if you want to tweak your carbs, we just say as fats in your diet go up, carbs have to go down. And as carbs go up, fats have to go down. Um, and that's just, to control calories basically if you have high fats and high carbs and then enough protein you're probably eating too much and there's a bunch of other physiological things that are happening so the, that would be the five on the food side so it's adequate protein mix of fats lots of edge carbs per activity and then if if you want to tweak carbs either your fats go up and the carbs go down or the the fats go down and the carbs go up so that that would be my revision of the food side and then what I gave them on the, the non-food side was number one, you have to learn to pay attention. You have to learn to tune into your eating cues. And a lot of people make fun of this idea of intuitive eating, mm-hmm. but it's because they don't understand that it's a trainable skill. Mm-hmm. And we train it with number one, we have people practice, uh, first of all, slowing down their eating. Now, this isn't a life practice. It's just something you do for a few weeks so you can tune in. Mm-hmm. So you just two weeks, you practice just eating more slowly. What you might even do is time your eating now. Like, oh man, I finished meals in seven minutes. Okay, I'm going to shoot for 10. And you just do that for a couple of weeks. And then after you've got that down, you start um, eating till 80% instead of 100% full, which is kind of satisfied instead of stuffed. Mm-hmm. And those two practices done over like a month or so actually teach you how to pay attention to your hunger and appetite cues. You won't know how without doing some kind of practices and skill development so that's one you have to learn to pay attention to your hunger and appetite next is you have to pick foods that you like Um, there is a bounty of foods that you can select Uh, i was recently diagnosed with an autoimmune disease so i started following this autoimmune diet which is really 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 restrictive yet there's still a whole lot of foods i can eat so i just had to figure out how to make them all taste good and enjoy them 
So I had to pick the foods that I liked. Then the third one is stay clear of the foods that cause you to overeat or even react. I mean, there's like very few people in the evidence-based community are talking about this, but there are just certain foods your body doesn't do well with. And, and that would be from like gastrointestinal distress to like mucus production. So like a respiratory kind of effect to swollen joints. I mean, people are going to say this is crazy in the evidence-based world, but you know, you've heard about how nightshades like eggplant and tomatoes and peppers and things like that could be problematic for some people. Well, I hate to say it out loud, but I'm one of them. Like mm -hmm. literally if I eat any of those foods the next day, I can't bend my knees properly. Yeah. Um, you know, Tom Brady talked about it and everyone made fun yeah. of him. Tomatoes um, and peppers. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm like, that's not for everyone. Yeah. That's just for me. So I don't eat those. Also dairy and soy. If I eat those, they make me really stuffy and congested. They make me uh, sleep with my mouth open all night so I get poorer sleep. When I wake up the next day, I feel like I, I, had, I have a cold or something. My throat's all dry and scratchy. So I literally have to just avoid all dairy and soy. Mm -hmm. So dairy, soy, and nightshades are mine. I avoid mm -hmm. them and that's it. But I still eat plenty of ice cream, but not dairy ice cream, dairy-free. You know, so it's not like virtue. Yeah. It's just steer clear of the foods you react to. You know, it's funny you say that. I, so I... I, not because I felt like I had any problems for the month of April, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to get rid of dairy and gluten completely. And, and mm -hmm. I did it not because anything was wrong. I did it because, you know, we've had athletes who have obviously done it. Uh, I've seen people who've had life changing things. And, and speaking honestly, I felt entirely the exact same May 1st. It didn't change a thing. But what I would tell you is it made me so much more cognizant of how I eat and how yeah. often I'm reaching for like, Hey, you know what? I don't really feel like cooking something before bed. So I'm just going to have cottage cheese and protein powder or, right. Hey, I'm just going to grab a bar on the fly. And it also made me realize just how many things are, are secretly in your food. Like totally. my, my wife made like a teriyaki chicken or something like that. I was like, wait, there's gluten in this sauce. Um, it just surprised me. Um, and it was, yeah. it was, it wasn't anything that phys physically made me feel different, but I think what it did, it gave me a lot more empathy for what a lot of our clients went through. And I, I oh, love yeah. that you guys have always done that at Precision Nutrition. Like you've been a guinea pig for just about everything, haven't you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy because when I decide to like, when I, when I realize I need no dairy, mm -hmm. um, I started looking at everything really closely and I'm like, how do like potato chips have dairy in them? Mm -hmm. Like what? Soup. Every soup from Campbell's has yep. soy and dairy in it. Mm -hmm. I'm like, where you know what i mean so yeah. there's like i mean it's just super like you said these things like sneak up and everything and when i actually aggressively took out all foods that could contain milk ingredients like i and this is gonna sound crazy but by uh, doing this autoimmune protocol and doing the dairy and the soy removal this is the first year in 15 that i haven't had to take any allergy medicine awesome. um so it, and I've seen this with athletes too, like in particular athletes who use protein powder, mm -hmm. you know, where they will use, I don't know, something like whey or casein or some milk type protein blend. And they think they just have a persistent cold, mm -hmm. like, you know, upper respiratory infection. But when they remove one of these powders, it's totally gone. They're like, wow, I wasn't sick for the whole summer. I actually was just using milk protein. So, you know, that's just on the non, you know, sort of nutrient side, yeah. pay attention, pick the foods you like, stay clear of the foods that cause you a reaction. And then the last two are like guided experimentation. You know, I think, you know, people 
in, in the nutrition and fitness world often talk about like do what works for you, find what works for you. The problem is that's nearly impossible unless you're a trained scientist. And even then it's hard. Yeah. You know, um, you've heard the old quote, like the, the, um, um, how's it go? Uh, the, the problem is to not fool yourself, mm-hmm. but the challenge is that you're the easiest one fool, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, and that's really true. You know, oh, oh, I found what worked for me. Well, unless you're a scientist and you controlled all the variables, you, you, you don't actually know what worked for you. You know, like this whole constellation of things change. That's where guided experimentation comes in. Find someone who can walk you through this, you know, in the, in the baseball world and people listening to this podcast, they probably get it. You know, they know co- how important coaching is, but I think it's important in this aspect of your life too, nutritionally and lifestyle wise, you know, don't just play around with things without some guidance because you're probably not trained. You don't know enough of the basic science and you haven't controlled the variables well enough. Um, a coach can usually help with that. And the last one is um, things just take longer than you expect they will. You know, yeah. I there's a, a famous Zen cone, which is like a parable that um, is one of my one of my favorites. It's called the taste of Banzo's sword. I don't know if you've ever heard this. I one. Um, but uh but it's basically this, this Matajiro um, is like a young man decides to become a famous swordsman like his father, but his father won't teach him. Um, so he goes to find this Banzo who's like my most famed swordsman in the land. And um, he goes and tells him he wants to train with him. And um, he was like, I want to be a great swordsman like my father. And I don't have much time. My father's old. He's, he may die soon. So I want you to train me. And the guy's like, you don't have what it takes. Go home, you know? And, uh, and he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I will do anything you say. Like, I will commit myself to mastery of sword craft. And, uh, and he's like, okay, cool. So he's humoring him. He's like, well, I think if you come train with me, it'll take you 10 years to become a master swordsman. And he's like, 10 years? Who has 10 years? Like, I'll work twice as hard. And he's like, oh, in that case, it'll take you 30 years. And he's like, no, no. I don't understand. You know, I just told you I worked twice as hard and the time is longer now. And he was like, no, no, you don't understand. I'll live with you. I will do whatever you say. I will work all day from when I wake up to when I fall asleep. And he's like, oh, in that case, 70 years. And he's like, but master, I don't understand. And he's like, "Um, a person in such a hurry seldom gets good results. Absolutely. And I love, and I, the, the story goes on, but I love that lesson because it's a, it's really an important life lesson, no you know, it's a, and, and the way I often summarize it is that people think their big goals, um, are going to be harder, you know, but, uh, won't take as long. Absolutely. And it's actually the opposite. Things are usually not as hard as you expect them to be, but they take way longer. And that's sort of the last principle, right? This is good. Just going to take some time to sort out and that's okay. If you understand it takes time. And that the person in such a hurry seldom gets good results. It can be okay. That's awesome. All right. So, and actually, I think this might even lead to our, our last question. So I know you went on book writing quarantine this past fall slash winter. Um, let's talk about the new project. It's coming out, you, I think you said in eight, uh, November, but it's available for pre-order now. Yeah, totally. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. So <clears throat> sort of after, you know, after we... Uh, divested our operational roles at Precision Nutrition, and I had some time. I thought about like what what I actually want to do next, and 
And where I sort of landed without even choosing this, it sort of chose me, was I wanted to capture everything that I think I've learned in the last 20 years of coaching and growing a business and building a reputation and sort of orienting around what career is. Um, I just wanted to capture everything that I think is true about those things. I don't know if it's true, but what, what I think is true um, and put it in a book, you know, and, and so it's, it's a bit of a legacy project for me. And, uh, and I wanted the book to be really compelling, really helpful, and really beautiful as well. So when you see it, you'll be like, whoa, <laughs> like JB went all out on this. Um, and uh, and it's, it's called Changemaker. And the subhead is uh, turn your passion for health and fitness into a powerful purpose and a wildly successful career. So the idea is there's all these people out there who are really passionate about sport and fitness and health and nutrition and all these things. And they want to do something professionally with it, but they have no idea what to do. And you've seen this your whole career, Eric. Some of them come to you to do an internship or whatever. And they're just like, I don't know what I want to do with my life, but I know I like this stuff. Well, this is the book for them. It basically unpacks all the potential pathways you can go down, the kind of education you would need, the kind of person you need to become, the kind of coach you need to become to really choose and then be successful in your choice in, in this field. So, you know, it's for people who are obviously working in the field or people who are maybe considering the field. And um, I mean, I mean, it's, it's we're now on 18 months of this book. By the time it releases, I will have spent two years nearly full-time effort on it. And I can say, you know, with total honesty, it's exactly what I hoped it would be. And it's met all the goals that I had, which is I think I captured a lot of lessons that I think would be really valuable for people who are in this kind of situation and thinking about this. And, and the book is just phenomenal and beautiful. So, you know, I'd love everyone to pick up a copy. It's, it's actually the cheapest thing I've ever offered. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) it's like 20 bucks or whatever it is. And it's got like 20 years of my career boiled down into lessons that I think would be practical and useful um, along with thought exercise and worksheets and scripts and the whole thing. So folks can pre-order it if they're interested. If not, that's okay too. But I figured I'd at least talk about it for a second here. That's awesome. I'm sure it'll be outstanding and I'm, I'm excited to check it out myself. It might be one of those ones that's the ideal gift for interns. Uh, there you go. That would be awesome. Um, so folks can obviously find uh, out a lot about you at, at precisionnutrition.com. You're on facebook.com backslash john.berardi.page. Uh, on Twitter, it's inside PN. And on Instagram, it's Precision Nutrition. So lots of different places to get great information, both in long form and more succinctly if, if infographics and um, quotes are your, your cup of tea. So um, this was outstanding, John. Thanks so much for taking the time. Oh, thank you, Eric. And, and for everyone who's listened the whole time, you're amazing. Thank you for spending some of your day with us. Um, I really appreciate it. And I hope you got some nuggets that, uh, that can help you in your life, in your career, in your eating, whatever it might be. No doubt. Appreciate you, John. Okay. Thanks, Eric. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be thrilled if you'd consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review to read on iTunes. We welcome your suggestions for future guests and questions. Just email EliteBaseballPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your continued support, and we'll see you next episode.